Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. To all the people who are saying to you, it's like really unhealthy and like a little messed up to be interested in death. We say, nope, no, wrong, lie, no, 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 no. I'm Greta Johnson. I'm Trisha Bobita. And from WBEZ in Chicago, this is Nerdette. Coming up, our favorite mortician, Caitlin Dowdy, is here to nerd out about death, and I promise it won't be depressing. Come back bright-eyed and bushy-tailed each time, believing that it's important. So your favorite mortician isn't Morticia, huh? It used to be, and then I met Caitlin. Fair enough. All that plus your nerd confessions. Right here on Nerdette. You're listening to Nerdette. Caitlin Dowdy is a Los Angeles-based mortician. And I don't know about you, Trisha, but when I come across someone who is in her early 30s and is a mortician, I kind of assume that maybe it was her family trade and that's why she ended up doing this seemingly random thing. But for Caitlin Dowdy, that is definitely not the case. She has had some very interesting experiences as a mortician. She writes about them in her new memoir, Smoke Gets in Your Eyes and Other Lessons from the Crematory. She's also a founder of the group of funeral professionals called the Order of the Good Death, which I just love. It kind of reminds me of the Order of the Phoenix. Yes, it does sound like they would have excellent meetings. She's also host of the hilarious Ask a Mortician series on YouTube. Here's one of my favorite clips from those YouTube videos. I get emails every day from high schoolers who are really interested in death, but are afraid to pursue it because their family, friends, classmates, whoever, think it's weird or dark or creepy. So this is a message to morbid kids across the world. It gets better. To all the people who are saying to you, it's like really unhealthy and like a little messed up to be interested in death, right? We say, Nope. No. Wrong. Lie. No, 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 People who make you feel bad about being interested in death are doing it because they are terrified of death and they're only living half their lives closed off to the fact that death actually enhances our lives and makes it more beautiful. Um, so don't let them do that to you. We are so afraid of mortality in the Western world right now that we need you to help change that. It gets better for morbid kids. This is so sweet. That clip also reminds me of a really excellent story core that actually just aired on Morning Edition on Halloween pretty recently. And it's from the point of view of the woman who founded the Morbid Anatomy Museum, and she's talking to her dad. And it's just the sweetest thing. I mean, here she was. She was this kid who was kind of obsessed with death. And... It ended up being this really incredible career path, partly because her dad helped her find taxidermy kits and stuff before you could order these things online. I do remember your liking of graveyards. Mom says I've liked them since I was a little kid. And you nurtured my weird interests. You bought the formaldehyde. You bought me a taxidermy kit. Do you remember? Yeah. This is before the internet. I couldn't just go find a taxidermy kit. You did all that for me. 
you know, there was a point, especially being a girl, when I realized I had to make a choice going forward about how I was going to be in the world if I wanted to fit in or not fit in. And because I had a parent that didn't think it was weird, I never thought it was weird either. But I never thought of myself as encouraging you to do anything other than if you wanted to do something, I would help you. We'll put a link to that whole story core story at nerdappodcast.com. But now it's time for our conversation with Caitlin Doughty. I was an academic. I did medieval history at the University of Chicago, and I was fascinated by old traditions of death and how we did rituals and how we handled the body in the late Middle Ages. When I graduated from college, I was in San Francisco working in theater and wasn't really happy. So my plan was, what if I could actually work in the real death industry in America right now and see what was going on? And it started as kind of an anthropological idea to go into a crematory. But then when someone finally hired me and I was cremating bodies every day, it became much more of a life project in a way that I hadn't anticipated. Your book, Smoke Gets in Your Eyes, opens with this pink razor in your hand and the first body that you have to shave and careful not to nick the face because it's not like they have time to heal between now and the showing and just this sort of absurdity of it all when it comes to the rituals we have around death in modern America in your mind is the way we process a body and like the way a family processes a loss Is it really that different from all that many years ago? No, not at all. I think that humans have a basic way that they process grief and some kind of ritual or burial, cremation, whatever it is of a body is relatively universal in the human race. No group just says, ah, doesn't matter. Throw them out in the back 40. Bodies don't matter. Death doesn't matter. No humans think that, that we know about. And so... We might think that leaving a body out for vultures or some kind of mortuary cannibalism is weird and grotesque. But there are countries all around the world right now that think what we do with embalming and chemical preservation or online cremation is weird and grotesque. And it's really all cultural relativism. It's how you in your particular area understand death and understand what is right or proper, quote unquote, or respectful to do with a dead body. I remember being really young and my mother telling me that she wanted to be cremated and spread out in a garden because she liked that whole cycle of life notion, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. But I was so young that it terrified me. I still hadn't comprehended the idea that like if you're dead you won't actually feel the fact that you're being burned and it was like one of the most terrifying things that I can remember from being a young child well I'm sorry that you had to go through that Thank I hope you. that we're you're healing very some of those wounds now here today <laughs> but yeah I think that children especially in our society now don't have a lot of vocabulary around death or they don't feel safe asking those questions They'll get information, little snippets about death, either from the news or from their parents or from a movie, and then they'll just run wild with that. Their imagination will just go to town on that fear. So they don't get to follow up with, okay, so when you go into the cremation machine, are you being burned alive? Or when grandpa is in his casket and he's sleeping now forever, does that mean he's actually trapped underground in his pretty suit banging on the inside of the casket buried alive. They don't have the context or the safety net, I guess, to ask those questions. 
people are living longer and longer lives. And so I know people I went to college with who had never been to a funeral. Yeah, there are people in their 50s and 60s who have never been to a funeral. My mother, I don't think until I showed her one, had never seen a dead body. And she's in her late 60s. So often the only time we see kids being allowed to, for lack of a better term, play act at death is the death of a pet. Because so many kids, if they are brought to a funeral, it's sort of, like you said, they're distracted from it or they're sleeping, which we wonder why kids don't want to go to bed or are afraid of the dark. And we tell them that when people sleep forever, that's a thing that can happen. That sounds terrifying if you don't know the difference between death and sleep. Yeah, I do agree. I think that there's this idea that isn't it adorable that little Timmy had this whole ceremony for his pet fish and Flounder went in the ground and we wept and we made a little funeral wreath for him and he was totally involved. And isn't that adorable? But we can't let Timmy go to grandpa's funeral. He can't handle it. He can't be involved like that. That's not for kids. And in that sense, isn't it more important that he goes to grandfather's funeral than Flounder's funeral? <laughs> he won Flounder at the school carnival. He's had him for two months. That's not a relationship. He's known grandpa all five, six years of his life. And it's probably just as important, if not way more important, that Timmy be there for that and do something that's meaningful to him, whether it's write a note and put it with grandpa in the casket or be there when the casket is lowered and throw some dirt on or say a few words or just feel like he's involved and gets to ask anything he wants about the process. Yeah, I think that's really incredible. One of my earliest experiences with death was not direct, but I do remember being very strongly impacted by Bambi's mother. Oh, yeah. It was Bambi's mother for me and Littlefoot's mother in The Land oh, Before God, Time. Yes. I don't know if you remember that, a little more obscure, but that was just scarring. I think a lot of us in our generation grew up with Disney fears, latent Disney fears. <laughs> latent Disney fears. That's a really good way of putting it. So what kind of kid <laughs> were you, Caitlin? I guess I was pretty normal, <laughs> normal in big quotation marks. I grew up in Hawaii, which is an interesting thing in and of itself. I was a young white girl in Hawaii, which is not the majority. And I had a pretty safe childhood. Nothing really changed all that much. I lived my whole life until I was 18 in the house that I grew up in. My parents were always there. My grandparents were always there. There wasn't much that ever changed. I saw a really difficult death when I was about eight years old, I saw a girl fall from the second floor balcony of a mall. And I think that probably had something to do with enhancing my morbidity because I became really terrified that everybody I love could die at any second. And I had to do all these things, rituals to make sure that everybody didn't just go up and die and fall straight to the ground without my consent. That kind of went away, but it probably turned into my more academic, removed interest in death. Because as any psychologist will tell you, we can't live with the full burden of death every day and be functioning humans. Even I, I do death every day. I research death every day. I think about death most of the day every day. But I still can't fully let the existential weight of it go on me every day or I just would shut down or go crazy or not really be able to do it. One of my favorite videos in the Ask a Mortician YouTube series is the It Gets Better for Morbid Kids, because I had a friend growing up who wanted to be a mortician. And in middle school, being anything basically is terrible because it's terrible to be a middle schooler. But putting both feet down on the ground and saying at career day, I want to be a mortician when you're in sixth grade was a brave thing to do. And she got guff for it a lot. And she's a mortician now. And she was sure oh, then. And good she for is her. Now. But I just remember... <laughs> 
no one knowing how to react to that statement. Mm -hmm. And I imagine you've had that experience many times. I became a mortician or started on that path when I was already in my early 20s. I had been in the medieval history program at University of Chicago, and my friends were of a certain type that when I told them what I was doing, everybody sort of went, oh, yeah, obviously, that of course you are. Off you go. Makes so much sense. So I never got the experience of being a child and trying to express my morbidity like that. And in a way, when I was in high school, I went to an all-girls high school, an all-girls Episcopal high school in Hawaii. So me being contrarian was kind of the fun of it. It was part of the game, part of the, I'm not a uniform-wearing schoolgirl. Like, I'm so much more, even though that's exactly what I was. But uh, (laughs) I don't know. It is, I do get a lot of emails and messages from young people who say, They have this very sincere desire to be in the death care world somehow. And their parents and their friends tell them that they're deviant and disgusting and that it's wrong. And that's just heartbreaking for me because I've never directly had to go through that. Because by the time I declared that that was actually going to be my career, if anybody would say that to me, I would just be like, "Um, it's actually pretty horrible that you're denying this very fundamental part of your life by denying your mortality like that. And I had answers for everything. And I could snap back, whereas like a 13-year-old maybe doesn't have that kind of vocabulary yet and maybe does believe they're deviant or wrong for wanting to be involved in their mortality and their death somehow. And that's just, it's heartbreaking. That does break my heart too. That's exactly the word I would choose for it. So if any of you are out there listening right now, teenagers with a death dream, it is possible. We have a lot of teenage nerds who maybe nerd out about death. Yeah, being a death nerd, it's a thing. It's a category, and there's lots out there for you. Still to come, more with our favorite YouTube mortician, Caitlin Dowdy, and your nerd confessions. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. You're listening to Nerdette. We're talking with Caitlin Dowdy, host of the Ask a Mortician YouTube series and author of the new book, Smoke Gets in Your Eyes and Other Lessons from the Crematory. For those who haven't heard of the Order of the Good Death, what is it and why is it? (laughs) The why is it is such a, I don't know, man, I don't know. Um, (laughs) What is it? Order of the Good Death is a group I started almost four years ago now. It's death professionals and academics and artists and people who are trying to be public about death and death awareness and have different projects and different jobs that really 
bring an understanding of death and what's going on behind the scenes back into popular culture. And the why is because I worked in the funeral industry and saw just how distant we were from death time after time, family after family, and thought that we needed something to bring us out of that. And in a way, it was trying to use the popular channels that already were available, the internet, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and using what we already knew to bring something that we didn't know, death and death care, back into the public consciousness. This is a field that the stereotype in modern American culture, even with things like Six Feet Under and other shows, it's still... I think an old man in our minds is the mortician, is the funeral director. And you said that a lot of people in Order of the Good Death are also young. How do you combat the age stereotypes, the gender stereotypes, when someone walks up to your business at a stressful time in their life and they're expecting one thing and they see another? Well, what's sad is that at this day and age, it's a lot easier to be a woman in the funeral industry than it is to be a woman on the Internet. It's a lot safer. There's a lot more respect involved. In general, the demographics of the funeral industry are changing really radically, even just in the time that I've been involved in it. I have two pictures on my fridge of different graduating funeral classes from mortuary school. One is from the 1970s. It's just a solid chunk of white men with one woman in it. And then you look at my graduating class picture from 2009 or 10 from the same college, and it's mostly women and mostly women of color. So the demographics have completely changed. It's a lot of young women who are getting into the industry now, and it's just a much safer place. We don't have to be the woman who does the books in the back or the woman who puts the flowers out for the family. You know, we can do absolutely anything in the death care industry. And the internet is not quite as friendly all the time to, to women, as we well know. Yes. And what's sad to say is that I feel like I get it so much less than a lot of other people. And I do have to think about when I'm doing videos or when I'm presenting things, I try and make myself look attractive enough, but not too attractive. <laughs> Because if you're not attractive enough, you're fat, you're a cow, you're, and that's what it becomes. And if you're too attractive, oh, she's hot. You give my penis rigor mortis. <laughs> oh, and, and you can't. It's almost like you have to hit this middle ground where I'm just this completely bland educational bot. <laughs> or you set yourself up for either of those things. Man, it's such a bummer that the internet is a scarier place to be than... Than a funeral home. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's insane. That's totally insane. So, Caitlin, I studied abroad one fall semester when I was in college in France. And I was there over the Day of the Dead. Or All Saints Day, it was actually what they called it. And it was fascinating for me, partly because I really got the sense that the French and European approach to death is so different than the American approach to death. It is. Every country is different than America. America has a very specific set of rituals and ideas around death. And I would say most other countries are more accepting. I would say that the UK gives us a run for our money. Um, <laughs> Canada does as well. But as far as a tradition and a ritual and a sense of continuation and a relationship with the dead, we're probably the worst. 
as far as what I have seen, that's my opinion, obviously. It's one woman's opinion. But I would say <laughs> that we have the furthest to go and the most potential for change. Because in a way, where we are now, we don't believe in all that much in a very deep way. That means that we have the opportunity to create new rituals and to create new meaning for ourselves. And that's actually really exciting. Often we don't look at the opportunity. We just look at, oh, well, we don't have Day of the Dead. We don't have a relationship with the dead. We don't have rituals around the dead. We don't have anything. As opposed to saying, well, what can we do? What can we do to change this? What can we do to make us feel better about our mortality and those that we have lost? And that's actually a really exciting opportunity. And you've mentioned that a lot of the things that people think are required when someone dies are just a part of the funeral industry embalming, not required necessarily. Going to a funeral home, not required. What are some of those major misconceptions that you want no part of when it comes to your own death? So the major misconceptions, I think, are that when a person dies, you go to the funeral home and the dead body is a little dangerous, so you need a professional to handle it. You need the body chemically preserved and embalmed, and then you put it in a casket and then in a vault underground, and that keeps it safe. It keeps the water out. It keeps the public safe. And that's how death, the arc of death, is done. And not a single one of those things is actually required, (laughs) either biologically or by law. You can have the body in your home unless it has Ebola. You can take care of it yourself. You can take it to a natural or green cemetery, dig a hole four feet deep, and put the body directly in. All those other things I mentioned are things that have developed with the funeral and cemetery industries to make money and to make things easier for themselves, which is fine. And you can have all of those things if you want. You can pay for them. That's your choice. It should absolutely be your choice as a family. But you should also be very aware that you don't have to do any of them. You don't have to pay for any of them. You don't have to do anything that isn't meaningful to you and your family. And what do you want to happen to you when you die? Much more something along the second model. I would love to be able to just be put out in a glass coffin so people could use my body. You know, teenagers could come by and see their first dead body and (laughs) people could watch decomposition happening in a safe place. But that probably won't happen. I think just being naturally buried, put in the earth and allowed to decompose and allowed my atoms to shoot back into the universe from whence they came. And that brings me a lot of comfort. The idea of being trapped underground like sleeping grandpa, chemically preserved in a sealed casket doesn't appeal to me at all. I don't want to preserve this when I die. I want to do what my body is designed to do, which is decompose. We're all made of star stuff. We are. Yeah, I know. And I want to to go right back into being star stuff or a snail. I want to be pooped out by snails and fertilized (laughs) trees and just be part of the ecosystem. I have to say that does seem a lot less terrifying to me than being in a creepy box injected with chemicals. Good. Another convert. I want to ask you about the origin of the word mortician, because I think it's really fascinating. So originally it was undertaker, and you undertook something for the community. And then it became mortician in an attempt to make it more sanitized. And I actually like mortician because I think it describes best what I actually do in the sense of beautician or statistician, practitioner of mort of death. And then at a certain point, it became funeral director because they wanted it to be completely innocuous. 
But directing funerals, I don't actually direct that many funerals, really. That's not a great descriptor, but people tend to like that because it makes them seem the most professional, or they believe that it does. Well, and the other thing I love about your choice of the word mortician is that its origins are also American, right? Yeah, yeah. Undertaker came from the UK, but mortician was very early, you know, when they were trying to sell embalming chemicals. That's what it came out of. But also, for me, it's an aesthetic choice, because ask a funeral professional is not fun. But Ask a Mortician is. I bet Ask a Death Nerd would go over really well. Ask a Death Nerd, yeah. It's sad because I don't take too much stock in my qualifications. I have a mortuary science degree and I have a license in California. But anybody can do death. They're not worth that much. But it's sad that people say that mortician is like, oh, she's totally qualified. She's not just a death enthusiast. She's qualified to talk about death. And yeah, well, but we're all dying. So we're all kind of experts in death. Or will be someday. Or will be someday. Yeah, your expertise is around the corner. So what you're saying is that Trisha and I should be nerdticians. Nerdticians. Yeah, I like it. Okay. Practitioners of the nerdery. Yes, indeed. Nerdery is one of our very favorite words. <laughs> thank you so much, Caitlin. It was really fun to talk with you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks to Caitlin Dowdy for talking with us. She's at The Good Death on Twitter. Her book is Smoke Gets In Your Eyes and Other Lessons from the Crematory. It's an excellent book, though I don't advise reading it during lunchtime. <laughs> this is Nerdette. Morticia mia, Morticia, Morticia, the name alone is gold. It speaks of death and labor, breath, not fears of growing old. If I could stop the clock right now to make a simple wish, the only wish that I would wish is dish, dish, dish. You're listening to Nerdette. I'm Trisha Bobita, here with Greta Johnson. Now here's some homework from Caitlin. I would say the biggest homework is figure out what you want done with your body when you die. And think about it. Do research. Go online. Think about whether you want to be naturally buried or cremated or have a witness cremation or whether you want your ashes sent out on a little boat and set on fire. You can't have your whole body done in a Viking funeral. Just your ashes you can. Figure out what you want and then tell people. Tell your family, ask your parents what they want, ask your spouse what they want. And you'd be surprised at what conversations that might open up. This isn't going to be fun necessarily to talk about at first, but I think the way you do it with enough humor mixed in to make it not terrifying mm -hmm. is maybe a good model to use when you're doing these conversations as well. Is Watch a couple of these videos, get yourself in the mood from Ask a Mortician to talk about it and not be terrified and not be sad and just talk about it. And what I tell people, too, is that if you believe that it's important to have that conversation, you have to be willing to be shot down a couple times. If your parents are like, no, I don't want to talk about it. That's gross. Don't talk about it. Just say, OK, we'll talk about it next week. I'll come back next week and just come back bright eyed and bushy tailed each time, believing that it's important that you know what they want, because otherwise you never know when death is going to happen. Spoiler, it will. <laughs> but you never know when. And it's just important to have those conversations. So that is your homework class. Off you go. Dismissed.
Your other piece of homework this week is to watch a music video. We'll put a link up on our website. This music video, it is an 80s aerobic dance video, but for some magical reason, it syncs up perfectly with Taylor Swift's song, Shake It Off, which also has a nice philosophical note. It's maybe a little lighter than that whole idea of preparing for your death, but shake it off. You know, sometimes it's good to remember. Right. Prepare your will and shake it off. Exactly. You should know that this violin cover of Taylor Swift's Shake It Off that I'm currently obsessed with is by Chargo. One plays violin, the other viola, and they are wicked awesome. We'll put a link to their music video at nerdatpodcast.com. Now it's time to hear from you. Time for Nerd Confessions. Hello, Trisha, Greta, and Nerdat listeners. My name is Stefan. My nerd confession is that sometimes when I proofread my emails... I read them in the voice of Gollum from Lord of the Rings to make sure that I have no grammatical errors. Now, I'm a lawyer, so I can't read you an actual email because of attorney-client privilege reasons. But I thought that I would read you a paragraph from an article that I wrote for the legal blog Law and the Multiverse that deals with what if superheroes had to follow the laws that we have to follow in the real world. Here goes. person or company holding a trade secret, as the name suggests, seeks to safeguard information that is known by the person or company that is not readily known by anyone in the public. Trade secrets can overlap with other forms of intellectual property, such as non-patentable inventions, trade dress, and know-how. Sometimes I find that proofreading can go a lot better if you add a little creativity to it. And if I ever have a client who comes in asking how they can legally destroy a piece of jewelry, I'll be sure to also refer them to the Nerdette podcast. Thanks. This good nerd actually didn't even call in. He did something else and even nerdier where he recorded himself leaving this nerd confession just on his iPhone using the voice memos app. And then he emailed it to us. For some reason, that was much less intimidating for him than actually leaving us a voicemail. And if that's something you want to do, too, that is totally okay. Our email address is nerdatpodcast at gmail.com. However you want to send us your nerd confession, we accept them happily. The easiest way is probably just to call us, though. That's 312-600-5638. Tell us about when you were at your nerdiest. Everything from epic fails to humble brags, welcome. You can also call to suggest a great lady nerd of history for us to profile or just say hi. We love voicemails. 312-600-5638. Thanks to Caitlin Dowdy for joining us this week. You can find us at nerdatpodcast.com. That's also where you can sign up for our email newsletter. Talk with us on Twitter at Nerdat Podcast. Like us on Facebook. The show is produced by us, Trisha Bobita and Greta Johnson. With help from Joe Dussault, Patrick Burns, and Iris Lynn. Chicago Public Media creates award-winning content about the issues that affect nerds like you. More information is available at chicagopublicmedia.org. Our home stations are WBEZ and WCQS. Thank you for listening on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Throw us some stars and write a review on iTunes if you're feeling generous. Like the excellent My Alec did on iTunes. 
We appreciate the stars, the retweets, the shares, and there's one other way you can help Nerdette. If you're a nerd with a business or who works for one that wants to get your message heard by Nerdette listeners, you can underwrite the show. Email nerdettepodcast at gmail.com to learn more about sponsorship opportunities. Our theme music is New Old Toys by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.